I'm going to be talking a little bit about um, what the Bible says about the purpose of creation, really, and um, what God is saying to us through creation. Um, If you're coming in from the farmer's market, you're very welcome just to hang around and listen. Um, But we're going to look at that this morning. And um, really, harvest is traditionally an opportunity for us to do just that, isn't it? It's so easy, isn't it, in today's world where you can log on to, you know, whatever your supermarket is, .co.uk, you know, click through your shopping list, it arrives on the doorstep, and um, it's very easy for us to take for granted, actually, the reality that we are so well provided for. And um, it's good for us to take serious time to reconsider and think and express, you know, real heartfelt gratitude to God for all that he's provided for us. We're, We're doing that throughout this morning And I want us just to spend some time considering afresh the ways in which God, through creation, has spoken clearly to us and provided so generously for us. There's a lot of interest at the moment uh, in the world out there about uh, creation and evolution. We know it was the, you know, the anniversary of of, um, Darwin recently. And uh, you might have seen the recent um, ads for the film Creation very interestingly named and titled, a a film about the life of of Charles Darwin. Well, we're going to look at creation here this morning. I want to bring what I believe is a biblical perspective of what creation communicates to us about the mind and heart and nature of God. That's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, We're not going to go into a lot of detail about Evolution versus creation, that's not my purpose this morning, but I do want to mention a, uh, a conference, a day at, um, at Hedgen called Grand Designs, and if you're interested in this kind of thing, Saturday 10th of October, 10 till 3.30, if you just Google Grand Designs, Creation, Evolution, Hedgen, I'm sure it will come up, and uh, they've got a couple of excellent speakers, one of whom, Stuart Burgess, is Professor of Engineering Design and Head of the Department of Mechanical Engineering at a well-known UK university, exploring in much more detail issues of evolution versus creation, intelligent design, all of those kind of things. So if you're interested in that, um, that's 10th of October down in uh, in the King's Church in Hedge End. I want to just introduce what I'm going to say by reading a verse that will come up, hopefully is on the screen behind me. This is a verse written by a chap called Paul, and um, it just summarizes what Scripture throughout reveals to us about the purpose of creation. This is what Paul writes. He says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived through the things that he has created and made. That's what we're going to explore this morning. Paul is talking here about the reality, first of all, of God's existence and the evidence that creation presents us with of that existence. You know, people generally fall into one of three camps. They are either believers in the sense that they have faith in the existence and reality of a God, Or they are atheists who believe that there is no God 
or they are agnostics. An agnostic is someone who holds the view that actually God is unknowable and so we can never really be certain whether he really is there or not. And um, I would hazard a guess that most of you this morning fall into one of those three camps. Notice, interestingly, that two of those positions are actually faith positions. The believer has faith that there is a God. The atheist, based on what he perceives to be certain evidence, also has faith that there is no God. The agnostic really is the only one who does not have any true substantial faith. So we're going to look at what creation says about the existence and nature and reality of God this morning. I wonder where you fit into those three categories this morning. I want to encourage you to uh, think about the things I'm going to say, reflect on your own perception and your own um, you know, understanding of what creation really says to us. Because Paul writes something here, very interesting to the people of Rome. He writes something that's repeated throughout Scripture, and that is that the created world all around us, what we call the natural world, is a means through which God is communicating something of himself to us. It is evidence of an invisible personal reality who is intentionally reaching out to us as human beings. Now, that's not to say that the created world is God. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the created world is very distinct from God, and yet it is a means through which God actually is speaking to us certain things about his nature and character and ways. Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And so the Bible reveals a God who is most definitely there. He's a God who exists and a God who also speaks is a God of revelation. And what we call the natural world is a means through which God is speaking. It's a universal language. It says here that uh, there is no speech nor are there any words where their voice is not heard. Now, your mother tongue this morning might be very different to English. Um, I know we have uh, very soon, maybe you're even here this morning, some Japanese friends with us um, studying up at Shoei College and, uh, and, and yet the Bible says there's a language that God speaks, which is a universal language and is accessible to every tribe and tongue and nation on the face of the earth. It's the language of creation through which God is speaking to us, something about who he is. You see, creation teaches us that God is a persistent, passionate and purposeful communicator. Many people have an idea of God as someone who's aloof and private and somehow disinterested with us as human beings. Well, the reality is actually the opposite of that. Creation 
teaches us that he is massively interested in us. And he is intentionally reaching out to us. And he is passionately seeking to engage with us as human beings. He is speaking to us through this universal language of creation, revealing his invisible attributes. He's not private and aloof. He is friendly and communicative. I don't know if you've ever considered yourself that that's what God is like. That's what the Bible teaches. He really is interested. And we've sang that wonderful song, haven't we, about you know, being wider than the universe and yet somehow interested in us. You know, small, seemingly insignificant human creatures. Well, that's what the Bible teaches. He is interested in us. He is seeking to reach out to us. He is communicating to us every day and every night through the beauty of the things that he's made. Somebody said he is infinite and invisible, and yet his fingerprints are in every snowflake, and he writes his signature in the stars for us to read and recognize. The issue really is, are we listening? And I want to bring that challenge to you this morning, if you're here, and uh, you, you have never really considered the reality of God. Are you really listening to what God is saying? So what does creation tell us about God then? What is it about his nature that creation communicates to us? I just want to bring, very simply, three simple things that creation teaches us about the nature of God. And I'm going to talk for a little while. We're going to watch a couple of video clips. It's going to be a little bit interactive. Uh, We're going to see some pictures as well of some aspects of creation that I'm sure are going to make you laugh. But uh, what is it that God tells us about himself through creation? Well, the first thing... It tells us that God is powerful. God is powerful. Paul writes here that his eternal power is clearly perceived through the things that have been made. You know, creation expresses something of the immensity of who God is. Creation can be a scary thing sometimes, can't it? I don't know if you've ever been in a tropical thunderstorm or maybe you've been on the coast Uh, When the tide is in and it's blowing a gale, I remember a time when we were uh, as a family in Nepal and um, just before the monsoons you get these awesome storms that come down from the mountains and uh, there was this huge uh, thunderstorm one day that totally freaked us out. I mean it was just massive. We ended up literally cowering in the corner of a room because this lightning bolt exploded about four meters from our kitchen window and we thought that this uh, bomb had gone off or something and uh, it was just an awesome thing. I remember the the cable to the TV and video just ended up as a, a line of ash on the carpet of our home because the electrical energy that was released as this lightning bolt just struck a few meters from our kitchen window. It was an awesome thing. Well, creation's like that sometimes. It's a little bit scary and immense and powerful and beyond us. It makes us very aware at times of our own smallness in the scheme of things. Certainly the universe that we look out on at night is like that, isn't it, on a clear evening. And when we begin to try and compute the size of the universe, we can get swallowed up with a sense of the immensity of it. Well, what's that communicating to us? It's saying to us as human beings, in sometimes the delusion that we get locked into, that we are 
the God of our own world and the center of our own universe and the master of all things, that actually we're very small in the scheme of things, but there is a being who is himself utterly immense and that he is the master of all things. The immensity of the universe. We're going to just show a a short uh, two-minute clip now about the size and expanse of the universe. And as we look at this and consider this, I want to encourage us to consider what this is telling us about the immensity of God himself. For us, mostly stuck on our rocky little planet, the view of the universe begins with Earth. This is Earth, silicon and oxygen-based, with a metallic core. The surface is mostly water. It teems with life and rotates once every 24 hours while orbiting a star called the Sun every 365 days. This is the Sun, mostly hydrogen and helium. Its surface temperature is nearly 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. For energy, our sun converts 700 million tons of hydrogen into 695 million tons of helium every second. The sun is part of a solar system formed around 4.5 billion years ago that includes Earth and seven other orbiting planets from Mercury to Neptune. And it isn't a stationary system. Our solar system is spinning flying through space at 134 miles per second, turning in circles as part of a vast collection of stars and star systems. There may be 200 billion stars in this collection called the Milky Way galaxy. An estimated 6 billion of those stars with planetary systems like ours. Our solar system orbits the center of the Milky Way on one of its outer arms. The Milky Way is one of more than 125 billion galaxies that make up the visible universe. This is the universe. It's really, really big. Now, you may not agree with some of the figures there, some of the dates and things like that, but the reality is, it is immense. Creation itself is immense. And Paul says that his his eternal power is clearly perceived through the things that have been made. Paul, of course, writing about 1,600 years before the first telescope was invented. How much more of the immensity of the created things do we have access to nowadays. God is powerful. And creation itself displays something, just something, of his eternal power. That means that awe and worship should be the most natural human responses to who God is. God is not a crutch for the weak. He's not a pet for the lonely or a panacea for those who just need a little bit of comfort in their lives. He is the self-generating personal source of energy 
and power and everything. And something of his eternal power is revealed to us through creation itself. So God is powerful. That's the first thing that uh, Paul says creation reveals. Second thing that we come to know about God is that God is good. God is good. Not only does creation speak about the power and immensity of God, creation also tells us without any shadow of a doubt that this God is a good God. Isn't he? We've been singing about that. The wonderful reality of God's goodness is what the Bible reveals and creation itself reveals. You see, it's one thing to know he's there and to somehow accept that he exists. It's one thing to accept even that he must be powerful. But it's quite another thing to accept that he is good. Well, creation tells us that he is good. The Bible speaks loud and clear of the essential goodness of the nature of God. You see, a being that exists and is all-powerful can be a very scary prospect if he is not somehow also in his nature and essence a good personal being. While creation and the Bible reveals to us that that's not the case. The God who created everything, the God whose power flung those stars into space is in his very essence and nature a God of pure goodness and kindness towards us. He really is a good God. Somebody said the Bible means by God's goodness, his cosmic generosity. I don't know if that's how you think of God. People think of God in all kinds of strange ways. People think of God as a kind of celestial policeman or a kind of uh, weakling trying to manage the affairs of humanity. But the reality is that God is all-powerful and also cosmically generous. In verse 17 um, of, of Acts 20, I think it is, Paul, Paul says, He did not leave himself without witness, but he did good by giving us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying our hearts with food and gladness. Now, this offering of food today helps us reflect in a very visual way, actually, of how... God in his goodness has provided for us. What this tells us is that the God who made everything is a good God. He's kind. He's generous. He provides for us. He's a God who gives us good things to enjoy. Now we're thinking about food this morning. I wonder if I can have a volunteer because I'd like somebody to come and try some Neapolitan ice cream. Have I got a volunteer who might be able to come up? I'm going to pick on you, Joe. Can you come up? I'm going to ask Joe to come up. I'm going to prove that God is a good God. Let's give him a clap. Joe's going to come and sample some Neapolitan ice cream, only it's a bit of a different kind of ice cream because it comes in a packet. It's astronaut ice cream. Okay, sorry about this, Joe. It's freeze-dried and it's ready to eat. And it's chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry ice cream slice. So, I hope it's not too unpalatable. It's really interesting. Nice pink colour. You got Joe? Try that. Okay. Let's give him a clap. You can go and sit back down. 
My point is that when God provides for us through creation, he doesn't provide freeze-dried, dehydrated, but nutritionally accurate Neapolitan ice cream. He gives us all kinds of wonderful food for us to enjoy. I don't know what your likes and dislikes are, but I'm sure there's something on God's menu that you really enjoy. Something that you really enjoy eating. It may be extra mature cheddar cheese. It may be a nice full-bodied red wine. It may be cod and chips and mushy peas. Okay, I'm revealing something of my own heart here. It may be tropical fruit. You know, juicy mango and pineapple and guava and all those kind of things. It may be a nice roast lamb with a sprig of rosemary like we've, uh, like we've seen on the screen. It may be a nice juicy medium rare sirloin steak with french fries and mushrooms and garden peas. Maybe Vindaloo or Rogan Josh, if you like a bit of, uh, bit of Indian. Maybe stir-fry noodles. It may even be Marmite. Now, I'm not a Marmite man. I, I, I've always wanted to have a public vote on Marmite. I think we'll do that. How many of you enjoy Marmite? Oh, gosh. Wow. Mysterious things have been known. Well, the reality is God serves us up with a variety of food. Why? Why doesn't he just give us freeze-dried, nutritionally accurate things to eat three times a day? Because he is good. Because he's concerned that we taste something of his own goodness through the things that he's provided. God gives us different aromas and textures and colors. He provides us with food and through his provision, we're able to come to that place where we can say, God, you're a good God. I'm so grateful to you. You are good in your provision towards us. In fact, when Paul writes about false religion, he says this. False religions require abstinence from foods that God's created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Abstinence as a kind of spiritual pursuit is not true Christianity. Christianity involves involves enjoying the good things that God's made to his ultimate glory. You know, Jesus enjoyed his food. One of the first things we find Jesus doing after his resurrection is grilling fish on the beach for breakfast with his disciples. Now, that doesn't mean that we are ruled by food or addicted to food or that our God is our stomach, but it does mean that we gladly enjoy the good things that God's given to his glory. We enjoy the aroma, the flavor, the texture. That's why it's appropriate for us today to say thank you, God. Thank you for the good things that you give. And every time, actually, that we pull a chair up to the meal table, that's our heart attitude and our prayer. Psalm 104 says that you cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for men to cultivate that you may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. And so as we're thanking God for food, we're reminding ourselves 
of this important reality about his invisible nature. He is a good God. He is full of cosmic generosity towards us. The application, of course, is that we who believe in him and trust and know him should be the most grateful people on the face of the planet. We we, we shine, the Bible says, like stars in the universe. We're a grateful people. The Bible, however, goes beyond that. The Bible says that God has not only whispered to us through the things he's made about his goodness, but he has spoken loud and clear through his PA, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the word of God, God's final message to us. And when we look at the nature and character and life of Jesus, we hear, not through a whisper, but loud and clear, something of the essential goodness of who God is. Jesus said things like this, I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And I defy you to read about and consider the life and actions and words of Jesus without coming to the clear conclusion that this was the kindest man who ever walked the face of this planet. That's why the message of the Bible is the best news that you could ever hear and it's the greatest news that we have the privilege as his people of announcing to other people. God is good. God is good. One other thing that we learn through creation about the nature of God and that's this, that God is finally a wise God. He's a God of immense, unsearchable and sometimes mysterious wisdom. I don't know if you like puzzles. How many of you like doing these Sudoku uh, kind of puzzles in the paper? I'm not a mathematical person. I don't go there. I much prefer a crossword. Well, we enjoy, don't we, many of us, working out puzzles. We enjoy that process of unraveling a mystery, taking something that's complex and discovering a solution. Well, the reality is that we live in the middle of an enormous puzzle. The created world is often very mysterious and very, very complex. Science is nothing more than us going about the process of solving this great Sudoku. The reality, of course, is that we will never, ever solve the puzzle of creation that we live in the midst of. Science is an activity of seeking to discover some solution to the visible material reality that we live in the midst of. And that's fine. What we do with that knowledge as we obtain it during that process is another issue, of course, altogether. But there's nothing wrong with examining the complex, wonderful world that God has made. In fact, I believe the more we understand its complexity and its intentionality, the more weight there is to the argument that actually there is an intelligent designer behind the creation that we live in. That it's not a product of accident. And creation reveals to us something of the wisdom of who God is. There is order and there is beauty and there is a pattern, but there's also aspects of creation that are not logical and they're not rational. They are mysterious, intuitive elements of creation. God isn't a huge, great cosmic calculator in the sky. 
He's a God beyond our rational processes. He's a God of mystery and immensity and wisdom that is unfathomable. That's what the Bible and creation teaches us about who God is. I don't know if any of you have enjoyed the Nature's Great Event series and these uh, programs that have been uh, recently on our screens about some of the you know, huge events that happen on the face of our planet. There's mystery revealed in nature. And we're foolish, actually, to think that we'll ever really understand it. Let me tell you just one simple example of the salmon, the Chinook salmon. The king salmon that grows up to 100 pounds in weight. This salmon hatches from tiny eggs that are laid in streams thousands of kilometers inland at the very springs of rivers. Those hatchlings, once they have grown to a certain size after a few months, make their way the thousand miles down these meandering rivers into the mouth of the Pacific Ocean. And they then enter into the expanse of the Pacific Ocean. Now, the Pacific is the largest ocean on the face of the earth. It covers more than a third of the earth's surface. It contains more than a half of the world's free water. It is about 65 million square miles in size, nearly 10,000 miles at its widest, and more than 36,000 feet at its deepest point. That's a big ocean to swim into as a small fish. It is massive. And they then live their life in the midst of the expanse of that Pacific Ocean. But then, at a certain point in their life cycle, they somehow, intuitively, find their way back to the mouth of the river that they, early, you know, many years before, had swum out of. And they begin to swim about 2,000 miles inland, an exhausting journey to the very, very point at which they themselves hatched out those years before. The adult salmon spawn, they lay their eggs, and they then mysteriously die and are washed back down the river, and the whole cycle begins all over again. Now, that's not logic. That's something of an intuitive thing that nature reveals to us. God's wisdom is often like that, mysterious and intuitive. He's not an equation that we can somehow get to the end of. He's an immense, mysteriously wise being that we will never, ever fathom. And often his wisdom in our own lives is more like that, intuitive, mysterious, not logical and rational. But there's wisdom there. Creation reveals that to us. God, in his wisdom, is often very strange and hilarious as well. I'm going to show you a few strange animals. Let's have a look at um, some creatures. Have we got the PowerPoint there? Okay. Top left is a strange creature. These are, these are real creatures. That's an I.I. It lives in Madagascar. The one on the right that looks very sweet with its big eyes is a tarsia. And we've got there at the bottom left a strange sucker-footed bat. Okay, this guy's got suckers on the end of his legs. 
You can put the next screen up. Okay, it gets even more bizarre. This is a real creature. It's not something from Steven Spielberg. It is a Dumbo octopus. God is hilariously mysterious and wise. He made these things. And the next one. That's not something from your worst nightmare after a load of cheese late at night. That is a blobfish. don't know if there's any associations there in your mind. And the last one, which is actually my favourite, is the Commodore. That, believe it or not, is a dog. Some hilarious description of this thing. The king of the Hungarian livestock guarding dogs. Okay, this strange creature. It is one of the most unusual breeds. A big, muscular dog covered with dense white cords. This coat protects the dog against the elements and predators. Despite its size, the Commodore is astonishingly fast, agile and light on its feet. You wouldn't believe it, would you? But here's one doing a kind of 100-meter hurdle race, I think, or something. It's just bizarre. It looks like a huge mop, doesn't it? A fearless dog. I don't know how you'd ever be afraid of this thing. But its main task, apparently, is to guard sheep and livestock against predators such as wolves, coyotes, feral dogs, or human predators. In the field, it's vigilant and trustworthy, and it is first and foremost a stock guard dog. God has made some mysterious, hilarious, wonderful creatures. He himself is a God of mysterious, mysterious wisdom. And so it's important that we don't think that God can somehow be boxed in in our lives. His wisdom is often mysterious, even hilarious at times. We see the wisdom of God through creation, but again, we see the wisdom of God most, most clearly in Jesus and actually in the cross. God's solution to deal with the problem of humanity is the most mysterious wisdom that we can ever consider. I mean, You consider to yourself what kind of solution you'd come up with or mankind or the United Nations would come up with to solving the problem of humanity. Well, God's solution is to become a man, to pursue a career in carpentry, and then for three years to speak about God and demonstrate his power. And then just as things are picking up and gaining momentum, to be betrayed, arrested, hung on a cross, and horribly executed. It's not the kind of wisdom that we come up with, is it? But it's the wisdom of God. It's a wisdom that boggles the mind and actually often offends us. It's the wisdom of God. So as we bring things to an end, I'm just going to show a short video clip, four minutes, and I want you just once again to reflect on creation around us and what that tells us about who God is. And then on the back of that, James, very briefly, just going to come... And, um, and bring things to an end for us. So if you can queue up the last YouTube clip, guys.